Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast on a windy, blustery, late-night show here at the US Open because I'm joined, David Law, by Simon Briggs from The Telegraph and Catherine Whitaker from Eurosport. After the US Open men's singles final between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, which has ended in the same sort of manner as the Wimbledon final, Simon Briggs, with victory for Novak Djokovic. And it actually went in a very similar fashion as well, didn't it? Yeah, although I felt it was a different sort of match because uh, Wimbledon, I thought uh, Novak was really stronger for most of the time and, and, and deserved to win for the quality of his tennis. I'm not sure he did deserve to win for the quality of his tennis today. He just really applied the, uh, the kind of mental arm lock on Federer. It wasn't about forehands and backhands today. It was about what happened on break points. And Federer looks a bit crushed at the end. I think he'll be more disappointed. We haven't spoken to him yet. I'm guessing he'll be more disappointed about this one because it was on his racket. It was actually quite similar, more so perhaps, to 2014, particularly when he was coming back from 5-2 down in that fourth set. If you remember, he won five games in a row from that position in the 2014 Wimbledon final to take it to five. He had two break points to level at five games all. He was very close, wasn't he? Yeah, but all the way through, he had not been bold enough on his break points, you know. Uh, I always think it's incredible how his physical um, uh, frame has stood up to the rigours of this sport. But I also always listen to the champions who say that the first thing that tends to slip a little bit is, is that sort of confidence, the self-belief, the, the biggest moments. We're just beginning to see a little bit of that with Federer in the last couple of years. Uh, he has maybe not closed out break points in the biggest matches in the way that he would have done at his peak. Yeah, I think it was four from 20-something break points, 23 break points that he actually sealed. Catherine Whittaker, we saw flashes of brilliance from Roger Federer, I mean, all the way through it. I, I felt, I was commentating on it for BBC Radio 5 Live. I did sets two and four. Set two, he won in an hour and seven games to five. Set four, he was making the fight back. It was, it was to my mind very high quality high drama as well what was your what's your take on it I couldn't agree more it was a better quality final in terms of competitiveness than the Wimbledon final Federer was more in it throughout than in the Wimbledon final I thought although on paper the scoreline probably looks pretty comparable to, to at Wimbledon I think Simon said it absolutely right I think the difference was taking the opportunities and I don't think Federer did terribly in fact he's never been the best converter of breakpoint opportunities. Perhaps he could have done a bit better tonight, but the second Novak Djokovic got a breakpoint, you instantly thought, this is probably game over in, in this game, and then therefore in the set. You know, it's like 
Goran Ivanovic said on our, was it last pod or last but one pod, you know, he's like a shark that smells blood and, and that's it. Whereas when Federer got a break point, you thought he probably needs at least a couple, if not three. You, you, you were thinking probably needs love 40 here to be able to convert. Um, and that was a completely different story to know about Djokovic. And uh, I, d- I don't, I can't, I talked about when, uh, when Federer was in his dominance, I couldn't quite understand it I couldn't relate to it I couldn't I sort of feel the same about Djokovic now I can't understand where he gets that mental strength from like that's that's not a level of humanity that I'm familiar with especially given what was going on out there because it wasn't just Roger Federer playing swashbuckling brilliant tennis he had 23,000 people cheering everything that Roger Federer did and actually at times applauding when he, Novak Djokovic, missed first serves. And I thought that was highly unpleasant, personally. Yeah, it was appalling. And I think Federer would probably be the first person to say, I don't want that kind of support. I think that's just doing a disservice to the sport. And I mean, everything. Everything, that's just appalling. And it was... I, I think there was only a smattering of that, from where I was, at least. I was actually sat in quite a Djokovic-heavy section of support, and they were going absolutely nuts at every opportunity. But I was listening in to the ESPN commentary I had the uh, not that if I'd had the opportunity to listen to the five live commentary David I would have been doing so but nice save ESPN was all I had available to me and they were saying it was like Novak Djokovic against the world and so uh, and I can fully believe that the way he was responding to things on the court was a bit like well how about that then and, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually a line I think I came up with in commentaries. Come on, then. I'll take you all on. And Boris Becker felt like he'd got his back as well. There was a defiance about the Becker camp and the Djokovic camp throughout that match. But, I mean, I, I marvel at the guy's mental resilience. And that's now 10 Grand Slam titles. The other thing, Simon, that struck me, I, I was down in the player tunnel just when the players were about to come out after the uh, after the two and a half hour rain delay and Novak Djokovic walked past me and back into the locker room to be called out for his TV interview and Roger Federer wasn't around and people were f- seemed to be quite frantically scrambling around where's Roger Federer and it seemed to me that they'd called the match relatively quickly after the they dried it up very quickly and I think I'm not 100% sure now Somebody from ESPN I heard from said, I, I'm not correct in this view, but, I, but I'm not 100% sure that he's right, that Roger Federer wasn't 100% ready when they were ready. And, and they seemed to me to be waiting for him a little bit to come out. So I just wonder, I mean, he came out to me a little bit cold. He didn't hit top gear straight away, Roger Federer. Yeah, the, the, I was hearing 8 o'clock for the start and then it was brought forward by about an hour um, as if they had cleared up the water faster than they had expected and yeah he was he really wasn't on his game in the first set um he didn't start to play his own sort of tennis until the second and in fact I really think he only played his own his real game in the second set I don't think he really um went to the things that he'd been doing so well in this tournament he didn't um rush the the service box that often when uh Novak was serving it worked best for him in that in that period and he was at the net a lot more and I really felt that he had to go to the net uh, more often and vary it up more because he needed to have a sort of go-to plan when the big points came around and when he when when the big points came around he hadn't sort of established a pattern that was getting him results regularly so he didn't know really what to do. There were a couple of 
just sensational moments for me during that second set when Roger Federer did indeed bring out the sabre twice in a row and twice Novak Djokovic lobbed him. I mean, those were special moments. And even even the pro Federer crowd, I think, were, were appreciative of what they were seeing there. Yeah, I thought it was, it was the best tennis of the match, which I, otherwise I thought um, was, a, was a sort of fascinating contest. I don't think the other three sets, maybe the fourth was quite good. The, the first and third, I'm not, I'm not convinced. The second set was really top draw. And um, the way that Roger was coming at Novak, he kept on making incredible shots. But I always felt that it was... It was he was always defending, and then that, that he wasn't going to get the job done in the second set because he was just having to kind of make all the all the defensive plays, and he wasn't being able to establish any platform of his own. So I always felt that Roger was going to win that one, even though he was getting beaten on individual approaches because he was he was establishing intent, and it was the kind of the mental uh, strength and, and and freshness to do that all the way through the match, which he needed, which maybe he didn't have, and uh, it's possible that the uh, delay might have been a factor for sure. The other thing is, we talk about resilience. The other thing Novak Djokovic had to show was physical resilience because he took a really heavy fall in the first set, grazed all his arm. He had, he had blood on his arm. He had blood on his knee. It was like watching Boris Becker's knees in the 80s when he used to dive all over the place purposely. But that was a, a heavy fall. I thought it was great that Novak Djokovic didn't immediately go and take a medical timeout. He, he, he lost the game. He was playing fair, and he just he ended up losing the game, sitting down, then getting it treated, but didn't make a song and dance. But that was a nasty tumble, wasn't it? It was extraordinary. I watched the slow-mo replay of that from every angle they had on the court about 18 times. And every single, from each different angle, I saw sort of a new aspect of injury that he sustained. His, his, I mean, the graze on that sort of just skin-to-bone portion of your elbow is just excruciatingly painful. And he seemed to also roll over on his ankle a bit. And how he didn't immediately seek attention was... Um, uh, just amazing, really. I can only assume that adrenaline must have helped him a bit deal with whatever pain a, a normal human being would have been experiencing after going through something like that. I mean, it just shows that they're not really human beings like you and me, are they, these people? There? I should hope they're not like you and me, absolutely. They wouldn't be winning anything. Uh, Simon Briggs, that is the 10th Grand Slam title for Novak Djokovic. It puts him ahead. Of some, I mean, he's already ahead of some incredible names. Mm. John McEnroe, Mats Verlander, Ivan Lendl, Andre Agassi, Jimmy Connors. None of them have won as many Grand Slam titles as Novak Djokovic, who's only 28. He's one behind Bjorn Borg and Rod Laver. How many is this guy, guy going to end up with? Well, he could certainly win three a year for the next couple of seasons. If not. That's 16. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he, he's going to put himself in the conversation unless he gets injured, which he never does. I think the, the point about the ankle probably is that he could have rolled it, but he's so incredibly flexible. He's worked on his flexibility since he was a child to the point where he probably can, can extend his, his joints more than the average person. He never gets injured. If he did, that would obviously hold him up. Uh, otherwise, who's going to come up from the youngsters? I, I still not seeing anybody there that has the all-round composite game. Remember that, that in a way, he's benefiting from having done it tough against uh, Rafa and Roger over the first five years of his career. He's now getting the rewards for that because he's kind of been forced to go to a place where where no player has ever been in terms of his uh, solidity and his sort of rigour and, and, and resilience. No, no player has ever had that combination to quite the extent he's had it. And he, he wouldn't have had that if it hadn't been for Rafa and Roger. So they have created a monster which could now go on a rampage for, for years to come. Could you actually see him retiring with more titles, Grand Slam titles, than they retire with? 
I think it's certainly not impossible when you, when you look at him. And the, and the, really, and the next question was, is, will he get, even get the credit if he does that? <laughs> because he's, he's not a person to whom, as we've seen tonight, the, the crowd readily give credit. Well, I said at the end of my commentary, you know, they might not love him the way they love Roger Federer, but boy, they better respect him. They did give him credit at the end. They might not have been supporting him throughout, but they did support him at the end. Once he'd done it, once they had achieved it, once Roger Federer was out of the equation, I think everybody stood up and paid him the respect that he was due, which is the most important thing, really, I think. I mean, everybody has their allegiances, of course. I don't think it's a personal slight. That I mean, the British crowd cheered against Andy Murray, you know, no British winner of Wimbledon in donkey's ears when he first came up against Roger Federer. It's Roger Federer. I don't think it's a personal slight. Um, I just found it extraordinary. I was actually sitting in the crowd right up in the gods, which, I mean, for the worst seats in the house are extraordinarily good seats in in this tennis stadium. And um, Amer- a majority American crowd, I don't think there are any Serbian or any Swiss around me, and the level to which everybody cared about the result of a tennis match was I mean just a wonder to behold and uh, I don't want to get all all philosophical on you but I mean it's just the wonder of sport isn't it I know lots of people talk about sport being insignificant in the insignificant in the scheme of things and you know when when terrible things happen and it, you know, interrupts sport in on radio or TV, say, you know, it's obviously not significant. And of course, the result isn't significant, but the existence of it is hugely significant. I mean, the joy, the passion, everything that it elicits in human beings is a wondrous thing. Well, very well said, Catherine Whittaker. I think we'd better let Simon Briggs go to his press conference now. He's got to go and talk to Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer about all this. Before we do that, Simon, just a quick word on the women's final, the wonderful victory for Flavia Panetta. It's the first time we've had a chance to reflect on that. Obviously, all of our last chat was about Serena Williams and also the, the, the fairy tale ending for her as she announced her retirement. Yeah, it was a good, good fun final. It had a sort of exhibition feel to it because it, it seemed like the crowd didn't really know who, who to support at the beginning and they were kind of deciding uh, where, where to barrack. And then it also felt like it probably wasn't going to have any significance whatsoever to the long-term direction of women's tennis. So it was just a bit of you know, entertaining uh, hitting on, on, on a nice afternoon for everyone. And it, 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 it was so different to what those people had expected when they bought those tickets and when they were expecting a kind of real nervy, nail-biting rollercoaster ride. And it, you know, they, they put on a good show and they, and they also they showed a hell of a lot of personality in the, in the post-match speeches, but it just couldn't have been more different to what we were expecting <laughs> right, when, we, when, when people made that the fastest-selling women's final in Grand Slam history. Yes, it was quite funny to watch Oprah Winfrey and all these huge stars from stage and screen arrive and and probably have to look these two players up to find out who they are. But anyway, I mean, the fact is it ended up being a lovely, a lovely story in the end. And I think the crowd hugely warmed to those two players, Vinci and Panetta. I certainly hope so. I was in the hotel lift yesterday going down to get the bus with uh, a couple that had tickets. We're discussing the fact that they had tickets for women's final. And they were discussing whether or not to show up because they'd obviously bought them. They were the classic case study. People that bought their tickets hoping to see a piece of history. And... I believe in my hope they did show up. It, I, I'm disappointed it didn't go to three sets because it felt like this one's about tennis and not about the occasion, and I felt like it deserved three sets. But it was still a, 
a wonderful display of sort of everything else tennis has to offer besides the record breaking and all of that and um it was it was really joyful all those photos of those two in the award i mean award ceremonies in tennis can be a, a pretty stagnant um not necessarily unpleasant but you quite often want to shuffle out during if not before the award ceremony gets up before they do the grotesque presentation of the cheque and explicitly mention just how much money is being handed over Catherine you all kill joy <laughs> but uh, that one was an absolute joy to behold it was great wasn't it yeah, it certainly was indeed so it's a fantastic US Open overall with Jamie Murray as well getting to the doubles final, just coming up short alongside his partner, John Piers up against the French duo of Mahou and uh, Herbert. And also a great victory for Jordan Wiley in the wheelchair singles as well. And also just a little honourable mention for Stuart Fraser, who did our interview with Pete Sampras a few weeks ago. Apparently he won the media tournament, which Simon Briggs says he won a couple of years ago. We are all huddled together outside at the moment with the practice courts around us, with the Arthrash Stadium behind us. It is blowing a gale out here. It's freezing here at the US Open. It's about 11.30 at night on the very final day, a day in which we've seen Novak Djokovic win his 10th Grand Slam singles title, beating Roger Federer. Will Roger Federer win an 18th Grand Slam, Catherine? Well, I keep saying he will, and it keeps not happening. I think if he has to play Novak Djokovic in the final or anywhere along the way probably not but I still believe Simon it only gets harder I've said no for a while and I've been worried a few times but so for, well I, in a, I haven't been worried I, I wanted him to win anyway whether I said no or not you know but it hasn't happened yet Indeed. Simon Briggs from The Telegraph. We are brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Catherine Whitaker from Eurosport with us as well. I'm David Law. Thanks for listening to us over the last couple of weeks. We'll be back with some special shows every day of the Davis Cup by BNP Paribas from Glasgow. From Thursday, we'll have a preview show from there. Great Britain against Australia. Do join us for those. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review as well. Tell everybody how good we are. We'll speak to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 